Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. My friends, be you thrifty wizards or new listeners, we are so happy to launch the second book club in this, the year of Sanderson. We have the Frugal Wizards Handbook to Surviving Medieval England and a bunch of episodes in store for this non-Cosmere conversation we'll be having for a while. Non-Cosmere. It was kind of weird for me to like take a break from the Cosmere with this book. It was a little, I was like a little bit sad as I (laughs) first started it. How did you feel about just having a non-Cosmere book in the year of Sanderson? Well, I think that we were all, and I mean this, I now speak for the fans, but everyone was really happy with Tress. And I think you and I, the patrons and the listeners of the book club episodes went really hard into the Cosmere and all of the different small connections and big connections, the Hoyd nature of it all. There was just so much dense Cosmere knowledge packed in there. And then we just finished up our book club episodes. I'm going to be honest, like this felt like a good detour. And I actually found myself a little bit excited to get out of the Cosmere when starting the book. Okay. You liked the break. I at least thought it was a good time for a break. If I was going to, you know, design the schedule, like this one seemed to work out well, which is maybe why I feel like I wanted to ride the Cosmere. So I wanted the non-Cosmere book to either be first or last. Got you. And so they could just continue and pile on one after the other more Cosmere. Yeah. Okay. That's not what we get. What we get is the Frugal Wizards Handbook, (laughs) and we are hopeful that you will all join us on these book club episodes as we explore the nature of this world and this story that was presented to us. I think there's a lot of similarities to Tress in the maybe whimsical nature of this story that do kind of hold over and maybe we will see reflected in each of these secret project books. But in this episode, we are going to just give first impressions, some hot takes, and set ourselves up with background knowledge so that then we can start to dive into the characters, the magic, the technology, the sci-fi and fantasy elements in our remaining episodes. Let's start with some of the background. Brandon described the inspiration for this book as Jason Bourne does time travel tourism. And I think that that's a really good description uh, in his preliminary message uh, about Secret Project 2. He said, quote, I know it's a little tropey, but there's something about me that genuinely loves the type of story where you find out about the characters as they remember who they are. I think it's because I love books structured in such a way that the reader and the character feel the same things at the same times, end quote. And I really agree with that. I also like discovering the world as the character discovers the world. And so the sort of added amnesia 
element just adds an extra layer to that. This really reminded me of Light Song's story in Warbreaker and the sort of quest for identity that Light Song goes on, which I really enjoy that theme as well and how Brandon uses the amnesia trope to bring up that larger theme of asking questions about how we construct our identity, how much our identity is influenced by the world around us, how much the society and the people that we're surrounded with completely impact the way that we imagine ourselves. And I think deconstructing that is just really an interesting like thought experiment and yes. yeah and and has me come away from the story with a lot of interesting thoughts to ponder. I love that explanation that you gave and the way that I've thought about all of these secret projects but even just non-cosmere Brandon books specifically is that they are avenues and methods of testing or trying out interesting thought experiments and definitely this Jason Bourne time travel tourism because the tourism element is a big part of this story. I definitely like it and I do think there's a lot of potential in this world that Brandon was able to do a lot of world building in a very short story and a kind of a condensed story in a lot of respects. But where I will at least give a hint to some of my hot takes on this book is that I want to point out that Light Song is not our main character in Warbreaker. And I think that that actually works well is that that story of discovery and that revelation that the character has while the plot is moving forward, I think works better when it is supplemental. And maybe this is an example Mm. of how it it takes a delicate hand to pull this off, basically. And I thought there was a little bit of chaos at the beginning. But I don't want to dive too much into my hot takes. Let's continue down this road of introducing everyone to the Frugal Wizards handbook because we have this exploration of what is essentially interdimensional colonialism or like being able to pretend at a godlike colonizers stepping into a world in the past. Yeah, totally. Like the original pitch is time travel tourism, but I think that interdimensional colonialism is more what it actually is, which is what we see in the actual in-world handbook, basically describing what is happening with all of these dimensional travelers. It is essentially colonialism. You just show up and be like, hey, everyone, I'm in charge now. I'm your god. I'm your savior. I One of the rules for a frugal wizard is like establishing your dominance as quickly as possible. Basically, yeah. And that's dark in it's many really dark. ways. And I feel like that darkness is interesting in this sci-fi world, especially if we're being presented up front with kind of a, the corporate side of the equation and maybe like how everything is okay but secretly there is a more evil kind of aspect going on sure that's interesting brandon keeps it so light that we never really explore this other than to like joke away or push away like the guide Mm. at sometimes says oh just don't think about that the these aspects of colonization even like banning people from going outside of regions that they send them back to Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of that is 
satire. And so it's not necessarily that Brandon is like pushing away the dark side. He's using the humor to actually highlight the dark side. And it's not, as you said, explored in depth in the story, but it's little things like that that tell us a lot about the state of the world at this time, especially when we combine it with the villains that we see in Ulrich and others, we'll say for now. And Brandon, again, in that initial blurb about Secret Project 2 said, quote, playing with the past meant playing with people's lives. And there were some parts of this that I felt I needed to hang a lantern on. That's when I decided to use interjections from the Frugal Wizards handbook. I figured I could highlight the inherent ridiculous and somewhat immoral nature of the basic premise with some satire, making it okay to laugh at the situation, all while we talked about human nature, end quote. That last line about talking about human nature is what Brandon believes that both fantasy and sci-fi, and I'm guessing like all story, is able to help us do. And he additionally said, quote, that's part of what sci-fi and fantasy is for, exploring the impossible now so that when some impossible things become reality, we as a society have already had a chance to investigate how we feel about that subject, end quote. Now, and this is something that you and I have sort of alluded to in past conversations about the Cosmere. In particular, I'm thinking of uh, trust when we're talking about the technology that exists and how do we determine what is conscious and what is not conscious and where is the morality in these situations, which relates to our world in terms of AI and all of those kinds of questions. And so we have a similar thing happening in this story as well. I agree. I think that the exploration that Brandon is basically taking us along the ride with in a fun and like whimsical story and plot driven way is setting up a question of importance for people to think about or at least you know thinking about a thing is important even if the thing that you're thinking about isn't that important just the act of taking an issue like the morality of time travel or mm-hmm. the morality of this interdimensional travel and just like kind of picking it apart. You know, you could joke that it's like the uh, the stoners in college who are just <laughs> like, whoa, man, what if there was interdimensions? But having those types of conversations, having maybe more detailed conversations yeah. <laughs> and non-intoxicated conversations, but thinking in complex ways about complex topics, even if it's not great, even if it's whimsical, sometimes even if it's stoned, is okay because the act of thinking is really what like unlocks your mind. And I think what Brandon is saying is it prepares you for when yeah. those things happen in reality. And I think the benefit of sci-fi and fantasy here, as Brandon is saying, is that it provides a safe space for those conversations and thoughts to happen. Because in order for us to really feel safe enough to explore topics and thoughts and ideas that are maybe different from what we have been exposed to or feel a little bit scary. Like we have to be in an environment where it's safe to explore. And that is what sci-fi and fantasy can do for us. I think this conversation can be tied to the Cosmere as well, because as the Cosmere starts to become more interconnected, we're probably going to see certain societies that are more advanced 
mm-hmm. start to interact with societies that are less advanced, for example, on First of the Sun. Right. The major example at the moment that we currently have, but we're going to likely see it increase and more chances for like this type of colonization that we're witnessing here. Yeah. And so all of the moral questions and conundrums that come along with that, we're going to start seeing in the Cosmere. So we should start thinking now. Yeah, really, Brandon is saying, (laughs) I need to prepare my readers today for what's happening in the Cosmere in the future. And then maybe that all gets to reality eventually. But I really just need to prepare you for the Cosmere. It's mostly for the Cosmere. Having said that, do we want to give our first impressions, hot takes, instant feedback about the Frugal Wizard's Handbook to Surviving Medieval England? Yes, I think that this book was good. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that it's great. It is like solidly average, I feel, where it's got plenty to recommend it. Like if someone asked if they should read it, I would say, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. But I, it's not necessarily a book that I am like just looking for someone to to share it with. I wasn't like super excited to reread it. You know, it's not begging for... Uh, for interaction necessarily. Like I finished it and I was like, oh, that was good. I enjoyed it. And I just had a moment of like, I'm not really sure like what to do with it. Say say about it. Yeah. Like we have to do all these podcast episodes. And I had a moment of just like, huh, uh, well, it was fine. <laughs> Luckily, you then had weeks of time as I needed to catch up <laughs> to finish reading and were able to, you know, poke and prod in order to get a lot of interesting conversations that we've already had off mic. And I'm excited to talk about this, but I would say that my initial take is similar to yours. And I don't mean this as a slight. When I say it, it's going to sound like a slight. Okay. But I feel like this book is very similar to its main character, John West, which is not a standout. Like he himself... (laughs) is not a standout. The entire story is about yeah. how he's not that great at anything. And I also think that the lesson that he takes away personally and the like transformation that his character has mm-hmm. over the story is kind of an aspect that I would apply to this book, which is like, they don't all have to be standouts. Like this is a good mm, book. Yeah. This is a solid book. It's got like Brandon Sanderson-esque outlining and formatting where there's a just a good feel. I feel like it's pretty, you know, short, easy to read and like yeah, straightforward. Definitely. And I could see this being someone who is a younger version of myself, like favorite book or or liking it a lot more. Yeah. At maybe Maybe like a 13 or, or somewhere in that age range. Well, it's range a very it's... like sort of hitchhiker's guide. Exactly. Yes. Type thing where, yeah, it's like it's short. It's easy. It's pretty fun and pretty light. There are some, you know, serious exactly. themes in there. But I think we're on the same page. It's not bad, but it's just like it's good. And that's it. <laughs> exactly. Like solid B minus, maybe like C plus, but like it is uh, or to be in line with the character, John West, who there ranks everything. Um, I would probably put this at like three and a half out of five stars. Yeah, that feels right. It, like, I don't think it's a four out of five star book. No, I, I think three and a half feels exactly right. Let us know what you would get or Give what John your, West. Yeah, <laughs> your star rating of the Frugal Wizard's Handbook. 
really excited to hear what everyone else's kind of instant or hot take was on the book, because I feel like what Brandon set up with this Jason Bourne-esque plot device, this Mm -hmm. amnesia that the character has, is a delicate thing, and it was like difficult to do right. I've seen it done poorly in other works. I've seen it done great. Um, And Brandon actually name-checked a great more recent version, which is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Yeah. That Brandon said was an inspiration or at least like a guidepost of like, hey, this is how you do this correctly. And I would agree. Like that is a really good version of this character remembering who they are and then having that impact the plot. I think what Brandon does well is use that mechanism to get an interesting person, John West or Runian, as I will probably refer to him as we're talking through these podcasts, you get, well, that transformation from a John West to a Runian. And like, that's a fun ride to go on. And I really do like, I have an appreciation for this character of Runian that we have at the end. And I think he's a complex individual. The Mm. world is obviously complex the one that he's in the medieval england but then his world in the interdimensional that's like even more complex yeah we're gonna have episodes about kind of both of those things about the world he's in and also the world he's from yeah uh, and the bigger picture but i had a good time learning who this character was i almost wish we could have just done away with the amnesia thing and like we dropped him in same type of situation like the moment we pick up is the same moment when he falls into this dimension but i i almost like don't want the amnesia aspect you wouldn't get the story that exists though without the amnesia like as you just said the story is about the journey from john west to runian and his uh journey of self-determination, he is only able to do that because he has been removed from not only the society that he is Mm -hmm. from and is surrounded by, also being removed from the people that he is surrounded by and removed from like any memory of them. Yeah, that's an important part of his story and like how your society, how your surroundings, how your past self, your past decisions, your ego and that connection to your ego. All of that is like impacting the person you are right now. Yeah, the construct. And so he needed to wipe that all clean in order to rebuild is what you're saying. Yeah, well, I'm just saying... You would like without that, you would have a story Mm -hmm. about time travel tourism, but it would be 100% a completely different story. Let me take it one step further because it might not be the amnesia thing. I think it was the amnesia for the character, but also the new world that he was dropped into and then the disconnect for his real world that all of that was happening simultaneously. Like I was trying to learn too much too fast and it was like paced or the information was coming at me in a way that I couldn't quite get into the story. I found the first quarter, 25% of this book to be the hardest part to get into. But then like once I was into the story, I really enjoyed it. And so I'm thinking Hmm. maybe it's not the amnesia thing. Like you're saying, that is actually really important. But it was just like, I'm trying to figure out medieval England, but I'm also getting the frugal wizards updates and trying to figure out his real world as well. And like how all of these things are interacting. So maybe it was just like a little bit 
too much information That's and not perfectly laid out for me to easily understand at the beginning of a story. Yeah. I didn't feel that way, but I'd be interested to hear if others did. But I'd love to talk about what were our favorite things? What was something that stood out to you that you really enjoyed about the book? Well, I think that what stands out to me is as I was reading, as I was having that discovery of Runian, I want to label John West Runian as honorary member of Bridge Four. He he felt like a disconnected, lost <laughs> child that got sent to random Earth dimension instead of Rashar. And, and he would have had the same, you know, life struggles, the the Johnny struggles, ended up for him working with the cartel on Rashar, mm-hmm. he would have ended up a slave and bridge four. That's like the oh, similar path that I would have seen for him okay. there. And then building himself back up, you know, being stripped down for bridge four, it's like a physical, emotional, yeah. spiritual kind of ripping down um, the death and John West had some of those aspects, the violence from his fighting and and kind of the major thing. Yeah, well, Bridge Four sort of demonstrates how when you are surrounded by people who see you well, you are enabled to be the best version of yourself. And I feel like the Frugal Wizards handbook is showing a little bit of the reverse, like a little bit of that story, Mm -hmm. but also more of the negatives of like when you are surrounded by people who put you down and who see the worst in you, you have a much easier time being the worst version of yourself. Right. It's almost uh, as if we spent a lot more time and maybe like more of the ending or the bulk of the book just at Sadius's camp, like of the people being broke down. Because mm. like when you are treated as a slave, you start to think of yourself as a slave. Yeah. And you can't even imagine the Kaladin and the magic that's all going to happen in the next story. Or, you know, that might only be days away, but people who were in prior Bridge Four yeah. were dying and, and like, you know, losing themselves, committing suicide days before Kaladin showed up. Well, yeah. And we're, we're going to get some quotes about about this theme as well uh, a little bit later. Why don't you tell me one of your favorite things from the story? I absolutely loved the time period being Anglo-Saxon England. I don't think that I'm the only person, because there are quotes directly about this in the book, who read medieval England in Mm. the title and were thinking about castles and jousting and knights and all of that uh, sort of stereotypical fantasy stuff. Yes. I, that was absolutely what I was expecting. And I thought that it was surprising and refreshing and really cool to get to explore a different aspect of medieval England. Quote from the book, Remember, though we treat medieval Britain as a single time period, the Middle Ages were quite varied. They included many distinct cultures, technological revolutions, and eras, end quote. And so this this time period, I think, in particular was really interesting because there's a lot of cultures meeting mm-hmm. and clashing, and there's a lot of different things in flux on the island of Great Britain during this time. I'm particularly interested in this time because it has a lot to do with the development of English as, as a, a language. language. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect of this book. It certainly was a 
risk that Brandon took diving into medieval England only to take us to medieval England. Yeah. <laughs> but the other one. And the book plays around with this and, and talks about the differences between the early Middle Ages, the high Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, and how you could be dropped into any one of those dimensions. And sometimes the French or, or the predecessors to the French have already taken over. Sometimes the Romans never left. Yeah. And sometimes like all the- of the different variations exactly. that are possible within each subsection of the Middle Ages. 100%. Each, so interesting. like, subsection could have all gone different ways. Yeah. With different influences taking time. And then how would that impact? Like, you might show up in a high Middle Ages, but a high Middle Ages where 700 years prior, the Vikings took over all of Europe. And it's the Viking high Middle Ages. And we would have no context Which for what look- that completely differently like language would all be completely different 100 percent. and so i think that that variability is exciting and like i found those revelations interesting i from a prior life when i was a teacher this was a the main example but also be the hardest thing to help people understand was that a time period is never as simple as we mm, can talk about it. Like totally. we might be having a conversation about the Middle Ages, but you can focus infinitely down to the single person, the one individual and their relationships. And that's a fascinating story that you could spend your entire life researching and studying and like learning all about them. But you're also talking about hundreds or even more than a thousand years in what might be a single chapter in a history book or something like that. What I would like to continue on and kind of talk about a little bit without getting too off, but maybe give like a hint about where some of our future episodes are going to go, because I thought that these dimensions and the introduction of these dimensions set up the same philosophical questions as something like Westworld did with its parks, Mm, where these people basically come in like functionally gods in the Westworld parks. Like they cannot die. The government the corporation is like helping them well to do you can definitely die in a different dimension exactly yeah and they make that explicit from the wizard's handbook is just like you are not immortal like you have nanites you have certain benefits you might have some technology depending on how much money you paid us yeah but you are still mortal and like if you are held underwater for longer than your nanites can produce carbon from like they had all these descriptions of like what you need but they're like you will die and that's an interesting aspect it introduces you know some danger to the situation from the vibe of the handbook itself it reminded me a lot of westworld and i was getting like westworld vibes without some of the darkness that that show explored this was introducing some similar themes Mm -hmm. and i i like those themes i don't think that brandon's going to come back to this world necessarily but it's an interesting one like i i'm intrigued by the bigger story about what's going on here that actually brings me to one of my rough cuts excellent good transition yeah yeah yeah. okay i was disappointed that there were so many interesting tidbits dropped at the very end when as you said I don't think that Brandon is intending to come back to this world. And I felt like it really started to get intriguing at the very end, like in the epilogue. You know, it felt like the whole story was 
set up sort of. And then once we kind of feel established, as you said, that's a little bit of the amnesia situation. And mm-hmm. just like the whole book is discovery, right. is discovering the main character, discovering the world. And once we kind of feel like, oh, okay, great. Like we know where we are. We know the lay of the land. Now we can explore. And then it's over. Yeah, I kind of was reminded of the Lightbringer book club where in the epilogue to that, they're like, hey, you want to go kill the djinn? And I thought that was the entire purpose of the story. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's what we were building to. I want that story. Exactly. And so I do want this story. For you, that was more of a rough cut because it wasn't like exciting, but it was a little bit draining. Like, oh, I kind of want the next story. Yeah, it just felt disappointing Mm -hmm. that the epilogue puts out so many delicious morsels and then we don't get the full meal. I agree. I think that that's maybe some of the vibe that you're hearing us express is this might just be a morsel. Like this doesn't necessarily hit the same way or doesn't feel as filling as something like Trusted. And yeah, Trust felt very self-contained mm-hmm. where we got to the end and it felt good it felt right. like okay great that was a full story it took me on the full journey mm-hmm. and now i'm ready to be done not that i don't want to read it again because i will immediately read it again because it was great but, it but didn't this was feel like the appetizer finished yeah this mm-hmm. felt like the appetizer okay that's interesting i'll give you my roughest cut okay. and this is this is gonna be harsh I think the title's bad. (laughs) I think it's a bad title. I don't like it. I don't remember it. I say it wrong. I have almost multiple times in this episode called it a guide instead of a handbook because it's a frugal wizard's handbook. I have two different thoughts that are kind of like happening simultaneously around this title, which is A, uh uh-oh, does Brandon have no one who like checks him or is he too powerful to Mm. get by anymore or is this more just like the secret project thing because he's got a lot of really great book names (laughs) and i don't want to be like he can't name a book but i think that it's just a possibility that he created these books more in isolation and we are seeing some of that on display i personally think that this is a confusing title in many respects almost especially if he has no intention of returning to Mm. the Frugal Wizards handbook as a series or something like that. If this is just a one-off, then it it does not sound good on my tongue as I'm saying it out loud. I don't think it's going to look great on the bookshelf next to Tress. Yeah, it's long. It's a little clunky. And for me, I think the biggest issue with the title is that it's derivative. There are so many other stories Similar to this, in particular, Hitchhiker's Guide, like during as we're recording this episode, I keep having to pause and like making sure I'm not saying Hitchhiker's Guide because that's what I want to say. It's so in the in the public consciousness. I think part of this is because it is a secret project. Yes. And that one, he wasn't necessarily writing these books for wide release, right? Exactly. Like when he did the Kickstarter, what was the original goal? One million? Mm-hmm. And he ended up getting like 50 something million. And, you know, and then they ended up being widely published and like it really snowballed. And so I think one, he expected these to be much smaller and more niche than they ended up being. And therefore he wasn't thinking that he would need like a full editing situation i think they were edited in-house by dragonsteel but i don't believe he was working with his 
regular uh, editor at the publishers for this book. And so to your question of like, is there no one who's going to check him? I think typically that would come more from your publisher's editor. Sure. Uh, And in this circumstance, it kind of flew under the radar a little bit because they were expecting it to be much smaller. I agree. And I don't think it's a huge detraction, but like it is the roughest part of this entire experience for me is I am not vibing Just the on this title. Okay. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it would almost be not that I can come up with a title off the top of my head, but the John West story. I would feel that more, is legitimately terrible. I went with the worst thing that I could think of, just like the most generic thing ever. But then in comparison, I simply feel that I don't have a connection to this frugal wizard's handbook. I think even just paring it down to like how to survive medieval England would have been fine. I've seen some people just calling it the frugal wizard's handbook, like yeah. FWH. And that might work for some. And I I don't, again, think that this is a huge downside, but it it just strikes me as a little bit awkward of a title. And that makes me feel like it's a little bit awkward of a book, even though it might not be. In some of the sort of supplementary material, Mm -hmm. Brandon mentioned that he had the title for this book for a long time. Like he had the title before he had the Full story. Content of the book. Mm -hmm. And I think it may also be a situation where he probably should have changed the title after actually writing the book, but he had been married to the title for so long that it just stayed, even though it's not necessarily the best title for the story. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when it comes to the story, let's dive into the characters. And I want to just kind of go through now some baseline points maybe set us with the foundation that we can use in the rest of the episodes give a a vibe check on each of the characters but we're not going to do a full exploration of all of the different relationships right now. exactly because a lot of these characters are going to come back into play when we really dig into the interesting aspects of magic and mythology and all of that stuff starting with the one that we've mentioned the most john west who I would say, becomes Runian. Yes, absolutely. I think his true name is Runian. I mm-hmm. find myself referring to him as John when I'm talking about like who he was on Earth. Right. And then Runian when I am talking about him in the plot of the book. Can I give one more degree of separation? Because sure. I 100% agree. I think that he was John West on Earth, and I would call him Runian for the whole plot of this book. But I think there's one more version of him that's introduced, which is Johnny, the way that other people saw him and see him, and that name of Johnny being attached to him. I would say that Johnny is not him, though. Right. No, no. It's it's not him, but But it is a burden that he's carrying. But it's not even his own conception of himself. I agree to an extent. Yeah. But it's also Johnny something he's only exists by. in the minds of other people. Right. And that's important. That's what I'm saying is that in the minds of other people, they are creating a version of you. And that creation in their minds is important to who you are. And I think that's uh, a deeper aspect of the philosophy that we'll talk about in more later episodes. But I would at least introduce that there's there's a Johnny as well. I feel like You're there's, to fight there's me. not actually a Johnny. What do you mean? Because Johnny is an illusion. Johnny is the way that other people define him, John West. Isn't that 
important and significant how other people define you? I think the that fact mm-hmm. is important, but I think that Johnny is not real. Right. But if he, John West and Runian, are processing the baggage of the name Johnny, then it's that is real to him. And that's all I'm trying to elicit is that sure. there's a John West that he's trying to shed, but there's also a Johnny that he is trying to shed. To become Runian, he has to get rid of both. And that's my... That's what I'm trying to add to this conversation here. I guess I just don't think he needs to shed Johnny because he never adopted Johnny. I feel like he did. And that's what he's talking about when it comes to the way that mistakes stack up. It's like people referred to him as Johnny and that but like he became, never introduced himself as Johnny. He didn't want to be Johnny. Yeah. But that's like what that I'm became saying. the person, the wretch, you know, who Kaladin talks about becoming is like it's a possible th- version of himself that is not who he truly is, because who he truly is is Runian, we would maybe argue. But like, it's not John West. It's something else. And it's like a cognitive shadow for him that he, I think, is attached to in the story and needs to shed that image. You disagree, and that's fine. We're going to talk a lot about the different aspects of personality when it comes to Runian. Why don't you read us a quote about John West and, and kind of who he is or what he thinks like. Give us an idea about his mindset. I think a defining feature about who he was that changes as he does, quote, everyone seems to innately know what they love. When things were going poorly for me in the academy, I started keeping a list of things I liked and didn't like. I thought if I rated things, it would give me the proper context to compare. I hoped... It would lead me to who I am, what I like, end quote. And so we see through this character, this struggle for identity and the fact that he is constantly looking outside of himself for the answers to who he is. Mm -hmm. And then once all of those things are taken away, he's actually able to connect with himself, him, his true self more when he is amnesiac when he doesn't remember anything right he's able to not only see himself as he truly is but he's also able to see other people as they truly are and this trope this uh journey comes to a close with this quote five stars this is me who i am and i didn't have to explain that to ryan chu end quote and so not only is he sort of leaving behind his past Uh, idea of who he is, but he's also leaving behind his past ideas of the people around him. And I think that aspect of John West that was searching outside of himself is exactly what was susceptible to taking on the wretch of Johnny. Like he was looking for something outside himself that kept leading him down dark paths, not dissimilar from like a Teft or other members of Bridge Four. They go trying to fill some part that's missing inside of them. And it is the story that plays out. I like what you said about his actual like most true state being when he's fully amnesiac, you know? <laughs> yeah. And with, like, no context, he is able to look inside and be like, what do I like? Mm -hmm. What do I not like? It's all so much clearer because he is 
in a vacuum. I think a lot of us had similar experiences during the pandemic because we were removed from society, removed mm-hmm. from the people that we see day to day, removed from a lot of the spaces that we have to be in. And when you're just, you know, sitting in a room right. with you and that's it and you don't have all of those expectations about showing up a certain way or being perceived a certain way, suddenly you see things differently. Absolutely. And you are open to becoming different yourself. I think that there are a couple of characters we meet whose view on John West help him become Rooney. And so could we go through some of these native people to this dimension? Yeah, let's start with Sephawin, who is a scop, which is sort of a magical position. It's a little unclear precisely what magic scops may or may not have because Sephawin in particular is uh, unable to perform the magic that she's supposed to. I do see some similarities to the wisdoms from the Wheel of Time. Yguain is one of the characters from that series that kind of fills this role of a healer and a person who brings knowledge and shares knowledge that's passed down, you know, for a a tribe, but she actually seems more like nomadic in her job. So she's maybe moving around a region and like serving as multiple people's scop. Yeah. And they seem to interact with the whites and we'll talk a little bit more about the whites and like that whole situation in a later episode she says that she's able to see the shadows of whites ish so she has some kind of magical sight even though her boasts are not working and i love this aspect of their world that the magic is supposedly happening by wielding poetry yes in the form of boasting and so basically she's a rapper battle yes (laughs) this is just Just hamilton on stage yeah she just professionally does self-aggrandizing rhymes aka rapper she's a rapper i love it and that has some influence on the magic of the world which we don't want to get down that rabbit hole on but there's this concept of the Weird. Now, I could say that with a different accent, uh, but W-Y-R-D is how it is spelled in the book. And it's a little bit akin to the force, the magic of this world or this dimension. And their access, the Scop's access to it, has a very naturalistic feel that I think Brandon was kind of like playing around with because it's different than a lot of the magic that we see in the Cosmere in terms of it's just like the outward abilities of Cosmere magic is maybe a little bit more showy, a little bit more out there where this seems more uh, primal in some ways. Yeah, sure. I think it's also a much softer magic system. Um, Again, it's kind of unclear how this all works. But I think that maybe the listeners and their connection to Rashar did like that was the closest that I could imagine, you mm. know, playing music yeah. and creating yeah, yeah. Songs. songs from the the power that you're like feeling and vibing on from the planet. That's more akin to how I imagined magic working in this world. Yeah. And Sephawin 
having that huge role at the end where she is the savior, basically, uh, bringing down and, and challenging Woden to a boast battle, you know, just like calling out and, and we will talk about how important the other different characters are on that aspect and that finale moment for her. Let's go over to Yelston now. Yeah, pronunciation. It's going to be a difficult. Rough. <laughs> yeah, everybody is on board. I think that you just got to roll with us on all because as we go down the list, yeah, the character it's just names get, get more even and more harder. difficult. Yeah, so we're just going to embrace the fact that there was no spelling at this time they didn't in have England. They did not have writing yep. and they were much more fluid on how things were said and written. So just get on board the medieval train and we're all just going to agree that we know what everyone's talking about, no matter how you pronounce these words. Aylston is the thane or landowner of a smallish village uh, and I imagine him as a little bit of a Dalinar-esque character. Okay. If, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, if if Runian is uh, a bridge four right. guy, then I feel like Aelston is the Dalinar-ish character, you know? He also is the coalesced sort of essence of this world mm, that we're in, yeah. where he embodies the constant danger, the common death, and not only is death common, but you're also like constantly surrounded by your family. Mm -hmm. Like everyone you know is who you live with. You're seeing them all the time. And so you are constantly losing people that you know and love and just the the struggle that was life during this time, like yeah, day in absolutely. and day out, war and fighting and death and just like the constant toll that that takes on a person. And then at the same time, the honor and responsibility that he feels yes. for his people and his position, like he really takes it very seriously. And the pride that can be gained from taking something seriously. Yeah. Like whatever and, your and responsibility being good is. good at mm -hmm. his job as Thane and really protecting and caring for all of those people. Absolutely. I think that you pretty much, you know, nailed the description. His character plays off of Sephawin, who is coming across a little bit younger. He has more of like the traditional vibe. And, you know, maybe more respect for the gods and, and the ancestors. But I find his contribution to the story humbling mm. and like an important grounding element. Sephuin obviously becomes John's love interest or Runian's love interest. But I do think that what you said about him, like defining this world and like yeah. being a lodestone for this world is why he's there. And that's and something I think he contributes so much to John's ability to become Runian. Yes. As we keep talking about the context in which we find ourselves determining our identity to have a man like this, who is Dalinar-esque, who is uh, so honorable, responsible, uh, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy, look at Runian and put his faith in him mm -hmm. and really say, like, I'm here with you. I believe in you. You know, let's let's work together. I'm behind you. Yes. That 
gives i think that's a huge part of why john is able to accumulate the confidence and the the positive self-image that allows him to become who he wants to be runian that's an excellent point because yelston gives that confidence to john through worship he thinks that he is an elf one of the you know higher beings and you know being treated like a god is what the frugal wizard handbook says to do but it is that question that we're exploring of like what does someone putting their faith in you do to you like yeah. when yelston trusts john west it allows john west to become runian or at least be on the path to becoming runian and i think that it would have been different if uh if john had only met aelston that one time you know when he was like oh i worship you you're an elf but the fact that they spend a bunch of time together and aelston really does get the opportunity to see uh runian in different mm-hmm. circumstances and in circumstances where runian is second guessing himself and aelston is there to be like no i i trust you like let's let's do your plan you know i believe in you the fact that they get to spend that amount of time together and he still believes in him, I think, is really the the crux of that. Absolutely agree. Let's go to a character that will be explored a lot more. I think that we could go out on a limb and say one of the most important characters in this story. Absolutely. We have Thok or Lagna. Thok becomes Lagna. Lagna became Thok yes. to thock with people like she <laughs> is we do not know what lagna is we are introduced to this old woman who joins the mission and is you know played off for humor at times she has a great little paragraph about tricking people into thinking that she's a witch just yeah, because she's, she's old. an old woman yep just like they kept treating me like i was a witch and Eventually, I just kind of like leaned into that. Now yeah. it's great. I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like a, a funny little skit almost that you would see in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Just like a weird kind of wacky character. Just like, I pretend totally. to be a witch. Yes, that's exactly how I imagined her is just like a funny little old woman in Avatar. Ex- and maybe she has cabbages. <laughs> we don't know. And yet that is not who this person is at all. So can we let's dive into Thok slash Lagna. Yeah, it's not really clear what her motivations are throughout the story. As you said, she alternately disguises herself as an old woman going Mm. by the name Thok. And then she also disguises herself as a white. Somehow, she seems to be in opposition to Woden. Because, of course, what we haven't yet said about Lagna is she is a goddess, ostensibly. Uh, and she is also the being who is responsible for John's arrival in this dimension. And she continues to watch him and support him in different ways throughout his journey here. So functionally, she is the most important character yeah, in this story. She starts it. She's guiding him. She is, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of <laughs> both. Sort of. Yeah, well, both in the physical sense. But then also kind of in the spiritual sense when he's just ghost Kenobi. Yeah. Like she's that as well in in the form of a white. And we don't know what her true nature is because then in the epilogue, everything that we thought we knew is undercut again. So let's leave off the epilogue just for a moment and just go to what the characters 
describe her as. This is towards the end when it's revealed that she is not, in fact, Thuck, the old lady. I'll play Runian speaking first, and can you play Aelston? Will do. Quote, did you know, I demanded, what she was? The goddess Lagna, he asked. Mother of monsters, harbinger of the end time of gods. Of course, you didn't. These people, end quote. So the mother of monsters, harbinger of bad times, or at least the <laughs> bad times for the gods. Yeah. And one of the pantheon of the gods in this world or I mean, in this dimension. Yes. Just riding out with your god friend, just hanging with you the whole time. You don't even know because she looks like an old lady and so you treat her like an old lady. And then she tells you she's a witch and you kind of treat her like a witch and she's actually a god. But, but is there's, she yeah, a god? there's even one more level beyond that. We don't know all of the different aspects of Logna, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about her. Yes, we are. All I want to leave us with, though, is that quote from the epilogue where she describes the time before and maybe will hint at what Logna could be. Sure. She may be another dimension hopper. Quote, she could vaguely remember a time before coming to this land from deep, deep, deep beyond, from the depths of distant places, other beyonds, other times, other realities, swimming upstream as far as they could go to this place. But then a wall of pain. They could go no further. End quote. The concepts of upstream and downstream and what Lagna is, we are going to explore in depth. But there's something more here. She could be another wizard, another, you know, frugal wizard, hop in dimensions and happen to just end up in this really important one. But there are some non-Cosmere, but Cosmere-like things going on as well that I want to I want to save for everyone until yeah, uh, we're later gonna, conversations. Yeah, we're going to tag that. Okay. Let's go on to our next character. Yeah, we got some more on the list. Let's talk about Yazad. Yeah, Yazad. I found him so interesting and such a quirky little guy who shows up in this story. He is a little bit of an outsider because he is Middle Eastern. He is not a uh, British person. So that immediately sets him apart. He is also what we would call a Zoroastrian, mm -hmm. which is a real world, our earth religion that from Wikipedia anyway, quote, exalts an uncreated and benevolent deity of wisdom known as Ahura Mazda, which is literally Lord of Wisdom as its supreme being. End quote. So he is monotheistic mm -hmm. in this world of, as you said, a pantheon of gods. He also sets himself apart by believing that God not only is a singular God, but is a benevolent God of love, which is very different from the gods that these British islers uh, know and or worship. And I think this fact enables... Yazad to be a very different character in that he has a much more optimistic outlook. Mm -hmm, He's yeah. sort of this like happy-go-lucky person. He engages in hobbies just for pleasure, which is completely unheard of. Like Aelston is just like, what are you 
what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, I just did it for fun. I did, don't you, don't you yeah. do things for fun here? Yeah. Will you read this quote with me? Absolutely. Quote, you were sailing because you wanted to go quickly, Aylston said. But where were you going? Nowhere in particular, Yazad said. I enjoy the sailing itself. I frowned. Aylston, haven't you ever done something just because you like it? End quote. I think what Yazad represents is a diversity to this medieval England of you know, physical appearance, yes, religion, yes, but also mindset and one not of the the harshness or the brutality that Sefawin and Aylston are most likely familiar with. I think we could say that this is another example on the theme of our surroundings, mm-hmm. our beliefs, the environment that we're in impacting who we are because Yazad is different in one way. His entire outlook and being and like understanding of himself and the world is different because Sefuin and Aelston live in a world where the gods are vengeful mm-hmm, and yeah. capricious. They live in a world that is much more violent and unpredictable. The existence of Yazad in the story too, I think is another example of the great world building that Brandon is able to do with very little, you know, touch or a little effort. The frugal wizard's guide world building backwards is good, but we're also world building horizontally out into this world. That's what I love about Yazad. And he brings something, a religion, Zoranastrianism to the table that is historically from our world and is a religion older than any of the other monotheistic religions we might be familiar with, the Christianity, Islam, Judaism. It's older than all of those and is often pointed to one of the first known monotheistic religions. In our world, it, we'll say, transitioned into other religions, but it seems in their dimension, Zoroastrianism had a conquest period where they took over or spread the religion in a way that we would maybe have seen with either Christianity or Islam later. And I just found that aspect so interesting. Like, it didn't take a lot to get the world that we now live in, and a small change in the past could have wild differences over time. Yeah, it's a great example of, for theoretically, Hoyd tapping the boulder, yes. how Ooh, just a great. tiny change can really affect the way that the entire world comes out. Love it. Let's talk some more about the human characters. Or in that, sorry, the, the, the Earth Dimension yes, characters. Yes, exactly. The Earthling characters. Yes. We have Ryan, Officer Ryan, Cop Ryan. Ryan Chu. Best friend of John West. Supposedly. Yeah, quote unquote. Oldest yeah. friend, we'll say, sure. of John West. Yeah. And I would even put friend in quotes. <laughs> at one time, they may have been friends. Uh, <laughs> and they also have Jen, which. I could do a whole rant just on Jen, and I don't want I don't want to take our time on that. But Ryan and Jen represent this like connection back to Earth, back to John West instead of Runian. And we see the line that's used over and over by Sefwin and Elston once Ryan enters the picture and once Jen enters the picture of are those people really your friends? Yeah. 
because totally. they're, they're not. They don't seem like it. No, they're terrible people. And we first get introduced to both of them through the lens of this is my best friend or mm-hmm. like this is my girlfriend. I have all of these positive feelings towards them. And then when we actually meet them in the flesh, we realize that they are not deserving of those positive feelings and that this quote unquote best friend relationship or love relationship are not those things. It's rough what John is exposed to. And there is one scene when he like purposefully kind of antagonizes Ryan because he's, we wants everyone to feel down on him. And like, he wants the story to, you know, slow down before the big climax. I think though, that where these two come into play for the story is allowing us to see how a description of someone, a memory of someone can give you one image of them and then a different memory or a different new action by them can change that instantaneously. And I think how your perception can color the world around you. We've been talking about this the other way from outside in. But I think also Johnny had this idea of Ryan as his friend and so always imagined Ryan as his friend, which blinded him to the way that Ryan actually treated him. Mm -hmm. And then when he is surrounded by people who truly see Runian, they're able to give him the perspective of like, actually, this person is not treating you like a friend would treat you. And then he is able to see through their eyes to see the truth. Which I believe is the wonderful aspect of this story. Like what you just described is the good part of the story. And that transformation that John West goes on to become Runian is one that the reader gets to go on as well. And hopefully reflected back in your own life when you we are all in those types of circumstances. Yeah, I think we've all had a relationship like that where you maybe think you're friends with someone and then you realize that actually that person is not very nice to me. (laughs) To me, what is hardest and what is maybe hurt a little bit by the way that Brandon wrote it, the length of the overall, the lack of follow-up stories, is that Ryan and Jen almost only make sense the more awful John West was. Like, those people I find to be so bad that they only really make sense in a world where John West is also really bad. And we don't know what his background was like other than through the interpretations that we see in this story. You think he, like, deserved them, basically? Right. there's There's a line about, you know bad company deserves itself or like all the the bad forces kind of get together. But Mm. I I just think that, yeah, there is an aspect of Runian would never have these friends. He would never allow someone to, you know, disrespect him in the way that these two people do. Maybe at the end of the story. That's what I'm saying. In Runian. Like Runian would not allow this. But John West did because... John West is a different person and maybe like a much worse person. We don't know exactly Mm, what leads. I want to bring in a quote. I think it offers a little bit of perspective on this. Okay, go ahead. Quote, life isn't like the craps table where the next role has the same chance of winning as the last one. In real life, you lose a little, and that makes you wonder if you deserve to lose. You get nervous, make mistakes, overcompensate. That makes you lose more, and then it compounds. When you say it like that, Ryan said, it forces me to wonder, how much of my confidence is because things did go my way? When I look at a loser, 
No offense. I guess I want to assume he deserves it because it helps me believe that it could never have happened to me. End quote. I think you are kind of saying that John deserved it. And I feel like this quote is saying that he didn't deserve to have people in his life like Ryan and Jen, but it is illustrating the fact that we don't hear anything about John's childhood, but like, let's just say, uh, you know, his parents weren't around very much. They didn't have very much money. He went to a poorly funded school and then, you know, fell in with these bad friends and like all of these things stack on top of each other and compound and yeah and so it's not that he is a bad person and therefore has bad friends he could be a really good person who has just been surrounded by bad people for a long time and ryan and jen are not a reflection of how good or bad john was interesting i do feel like this is set up for more of like our philosophical episode but I might disagree. I kind of think that the overall point would be that you can be different things at different times, including a bad person. Johnny, John West at times, legitimately could have been an awful person, a truly terrible human being. We don't know enough to say that. But I'm saying he could have legitimately been a truly awful person as John West. And I still think he could have the story and the advancement to a Runian, like, I still think that's possible. And if he was... I don't. Really? Yeah. You don't think... I think that if you took, for example, Ulrich... Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, the last person we wanted to talk about, yeah. Yeah, out of his context, even if you, like, wiped Ulrich's mind, took him out of his uh, mob boss situation, put him on this world, when he looked inside the white room, he would find... A bad person. He would find cruelty and the desire to dominate. And even Ulrich, without his memory, would be a cruel person trying to dominate the world. Whereas when John looks inside the white room, he finds someone who is brave sometimes and like a little bit insecure, but someone who wants to help, you know, like he finds good qualities that maybe he wasn't presenting on earth but i think that that is evidence that he was not a truly terrible person on earth he was a good person who was in a series of bad situations and made bad choices this is a fascinating topic and it's a good example of the exploration that's possible with these questions and i do think that these are questions that as Brandon said, we quoted at the beginning, that kind of like set the ground for true ethical decisions. We're basically now having a conversation about nature versus nurture, right? Just like, is the world around you the thing that is most impactful on your personality, on who you are as a person? Or is it some type of innate nature-driven part of your personality what you're saying is like in the white room yeah but i think i think those things are layered which is depicted in this story Mm -hmm. where we have the the base level john being impacted by his surroundings making decisions that maybe he wouldn't have made given different surroundings and you okay so i am saying that also applies to a person like ulrich He made decisions that led him to be a terrible person, a a truly bad mob boss 
individual. Yeah, but he has the same things layering. So, you know, if you start with a bad apple and then yeah, you also yeah. put it in a bad environment. It's extra bad. Yeah. It's like odium one being held by Rasa. Yeah, exactly. Like those things are in alignment in their cruelty. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. Obviously, it's a Cosmere reference. And so, so I... even, <laughs> yeah. If I want you to understand anything, I just need to compare it to the Cosmere. Exactly. If you took Ulrich and put him in a different circumstance, you still are starting with the bad apple. He might legitimately become a better person. Mm -hmm. Like maybe he's not quite as terrible when he is given good surroundings, positive surroundings. Uh, But... It's a different starting place. Okay, so this is a stretch, but I know that the patrons will follow along. You're saying that basically, like, if you take Ulrich and put him in the best dimension possible, he still might only become Brent, that dickish guy from the late seasons of The Good Place. Yes, the worst, just terrible man. Just a bad version of a bad person, but that might be the best that someone like Ulrich could become. Yeah. And or it's going to take him a long time because like at the end of The Good Place, Brent is still in the system. Right. Trying to learn. And he might learn, you know, a small Mm -hmm. thing every 100 years and be a little bit better. But he's just starting from a different position and it's going to take it's going to take a long time for Ulrich to become Runian. It's not going to be just one book. It's going to be a lot of books. I have really loved this discussion about the people and the influences that they have on us, the environment and the way that it impacts us and our nature and kind of like the soul of a person. I think that we have a lot of good examples and a lot of fertile ground for further conversation on all of these different topics and these characters from the Frugal Wizards Handbook. Yeah, this has been an interesting conversation. I think it has, like, the conversation has actually improved my experience of the book. Oh, we love that. Yeah, which is cool. I'm, like, now thinking this is maybe a great book for a book club because it's a pretty quick, easy, simple read that, again, as we said at the beginning, maybe you finish and you're kind of like, okay, cool. But then once you get into conversation with other people about some of the themes that are brought up, it really sort of brings the richness that is present in the story uh, to the forefront. That's an excellent point. So let's use that with this book club in particular. We have the Patreon. We obviously have the Discord as well. Give us your feedback and let us know what you think about the Frugal Wizards Handbook. I agree, though, that this has been a conversation that has really enhanced the overall experience of reading the book. So we hope that you will join us along for the next couple of episodes. We're thinking probably like four to five episodes in this book club, but you all know how it goes. We are flexible and kind of adaptable. So let us know what you think and what you're interested in and the thought-provoking questions that you might have in regards to this new secret project number two. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. <laughs>